Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Welcome. That's kind of cool, Amy. A little, Love it. A little, Have to see uh, the intro. Yeah, I, I'm just starting to play with this. Uh, is the software, and it looks like I have I have successfully hacked us into the into awesome. the into the broadcast. So you welcome, Amy, we to the show. We are in the digital age. I, I am the I'm the boss now. So this is the calling it the jar. It's the jar foundation labeled right now. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to change it to um, mental health today. Okay. With. And it's going to be with Amy Mazoulis, right? Perfect. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah. Perfect. So um, Amy and I were just chatting offline, got a little a little of the backstory, and really excited to hear um, about what you're doing mm-hmm. and about your aha moment um, and kind of where and see where that takes us. As I mentioned before, when I was looking to see what you're what you're working on now, uh, the part that I really liked was the education, the skill set building and and those parts of what you're working on. And, you know, I just really believe that's a key to helping therapists, you know, do, you know, spend more time on the right stuff. And um, and also for people to to kind of help themselves and to learn and maybe even help each other uh, along the way. So the Amy, who are you? And, and, okay. what, and tell us about your aha moment. Sure. Um, so... I am a clinical psychologist by training um, and have spent most of my career in research academia. So I've been on the faculty of a small university here in Seattle, Washington for 17 years now Um, and and have, of course, done all the normal academic things I teach and um, done some administration and all that sort of thing. But most of what I've done is clinical research and all of my research funded by the National Institutes of Health, the National Association for Research in Schizophrenia and Depression, the American Psychological Association. All of my research examines pathways to adolescent onset mental health problems. Um, so why do teenagers get no. the mental okay. health problems that they get? Um, my particular like nerdy academic interests are in pathways to depression and self-injury and suicide in particular, um, but also related okay. um, uh, things, anxiety. I've done a fair bit of um, sort of trauma outcomes among this age group as well. And so... The, the aha moment, what gets us from that? I was yeah, doing that for no, you. Yeah, it's okay. That's, but that's um, good. There's, there's a couple of aha moments. Um, so I think probably the current story starts in about 2019, um, middle to end of 2019. And at this time, I'm in year 14, 15 Four, yeah, of being in academia. Yeah. I am department chair which sounds really like impressive and is really mostly just a horrible job, um, <laughs> which is a lot of administrivia um, and uh, not that much like sort of direct teaching. Okay. Had, oh, okay. Really far away from what you yeah, know. And, and, and I'd had two back-to-back federal grants from 2013 through 2019. I had federal funding to do research, okay. um, which was awesome and exciting. It also meant I was a little bit sort of like had some grant fatigue, right? Like I'd been collecting data and collecting data and collecting data. And I love research. Research is also a lot of work. And I'm now sitting on a mound of data. And I had that like academic ivory tower moment where I was like, am I doing anything that yeah. matters? You know, like is what I'm doing matters. I write these papers that as far as I can tell, the same 20 people in my field read, like <laughs> I read their papers, right? But is it actually meaningfully yeah. doing anything 
to solve what was really apparent to me was a teen mental health crisis. And that was why I went into the field. You know, in 2019, I'm also the mom to a um, a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, two daughters. um, And my kids had just two years before that, they had lost their father. So they'd had their own sort of mental health journey. So I'm parenting these teenagers who are dealing with all the stuff of adolescence. I'm in academia doing research in teen mental health, and I'm feeling this like stuckness, like is anything that any of us in academia are doing matters. And at the time, at the time I thought I'd solve it, honestly, by going into private practice, I was licensed. And I'm like, I'll just start seeing clients again. Like that'll make me feel more in touch with like having an immediate impact. And I, I did do that. But I also at the same time got connected to, um, to sort of a, a friend of a friend, a, a colleague of a colleague, um, to a man named Josh Hurst. And Josh was an entrepreneur in residence at a, a startup studio here in Seattle called Pioneer Square Labs. He's a longtime tech entrepreneur. I mean, okay. straight up tech product guy, yeah. right? Like nothing okay. to do with mental health. But um, he'd had another, so he's had this sort of passion for social mission-driven tech companies. He'd, he'd created a company um, called WalkScore on walkability of neighborhoods that he'd sold and he was thinking about sort of his next act. And he was also really, he also is the parent of two teenagers, was really compelled by this, like this data on this teen mental health crisis. And he's like, maybe I could use my tech background to innovate there. Huh. Sounds really cool. I don't know anything about teen mental health. And he's talking to our mutual colleague, um, who Greg Gottesman, who is one of the founders of Pioneer Square Labs. And Greg says, I know someone who knows something about teen mental health. And so literally in the fall of 2019, this is what happened is that Josh and I just get in a room and we start going, teen mental health is a real problem. I'm like, yeah. He's like, do we know what to do about it? I'm like, heck yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, okay. We a lot. We know what causes teen mental health problems. We actually know what treats teen mental health problems. The, the knowledge isn't the problem. The problem is connecting the dots and the problem is reducing a lot of barriers to yeah. access care and happy to talk about that. And so we mm. put our heads together and jointly founded this company, which um, is now called June Care. Um, it had a different name earlier. And we had no idea. You have to appreciate this is fall of 2019. Okay. We have no idea about, about what is top, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we're playing around with these ideas. We've got a like app that has a video and that's about it. Um, and we're like, we'll think about it and maybe like late in 2020, yeah, maybe, like launch and do something. And then COVID hits and we're, lo- we're located in Seattle and COVID hit Seattle really hard. Yes. Yeah. Locked down really quickly. And that meant a couple things on both sides of the clinical equation. We had a lot of teens and young adults who couldn't get access to healthcare. Yes. It took a little while for things to go virtual, right? It wasn't like this happened overnight. Most practitioners who were used to doing things in person had to kind of think about how to do this. Oh, yeah. But you also had clinicians who couldn't deliver care, right? Clinicians who are trained, but their clinics are physically closed. And we're like, we can connect those dots. We can start connecting clinicians with teen and young adult clients and kind of just go. And so we really, we had an idea but we had a we were actually using third party software for video for our therapists and we had a one feature mobile app for our clients um, which was a video platform and we started actually serving clients but you know fast forward now this is 3 years ago um you know what i'm doing with most of my time is functioning as the chief clinical officer of yeah. this company okay. june care and what june care is doing is trying to solve some of that problem of 
the teen mental health crisis and how do we get teens to access care by using technology to make mental health care more accessible and more engaging for a population that has a lot of need, but can sometimes be a little bit resistant to engaging in care and and happy to talk about any of that. But that's a little bit of introduction about sort of how I got here. I'm a little bit of like a nerdy academic who ended up running a tech company. (laughs) And that was all mostly accidental, Um, except that it's really exciting. And the thing, that aha moment that you were talking about is like this, you know, like I want to do something. I don't want to just think about a problem anymore. I want to do something about the problem. And that's really at the end of the day, I think, what the aha moment was. And this company is one way, we're not the only company innovating, but one way in which we can sort of bring innovation to a problem that's a real meaningful problem. Just uh, the, the fact that you were in the same place at the same time and somebody connected you. Just magic, right? Totally. Kismet. there are no coincidences, coincidences. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, and at the right you know, time of life, right? Like if you'd asked me two years earlier, you know, I would have been like, I'm too busy. I'm in the middle of a federal grant, you know, and, and two years later, COVID would have, you know what I mean? We would have sort of missed a boat on sort of the massive innovation that's been helping ha- happening in healthcare in the last couple of years. So really fortuitous in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have been pushing a rock up a hill. I mean, with, with telemedicine, with teams. Totally. And yeah. I mean, but now. Look, you know, we're talking we're talking about mental health digitally, and probably you yep. wouldn't have done this, you no, know, two years no. ago. The willingness to um, accept that teletherapy is a totally valid and mm-hmm. good way to deliver healthcare, to deliver mental healthcare specifically, um, is really now very w- widely accepted, and it definitely was not three years ago. So you mentioned there was a cool, a cool, interesting term. Maybe "cool" term is the wrong one, but interesting term about yeah. kids, the pathways to. Like the resistance of the pathways you called it? What did you call it? Um, What what I study is, yeah, pathways to mental health disorders, right? So how is it that we take, you know, some fun facts for you. So 75% of all mental health disorders onset by age 24. So when we talk with adults who have depression or anxiety or bipolar or anything, the vast majority of them did not have their first episode as an adult. They yes. had their first episode as m- most often a teenager. Um, they may right. not have known it, right? right they may right, not have known right. it. They, they may not right. have gotten treatment. Yes. But the adolescent time period, sort of age 10, kind of that pre-adolescent tween years to about age 24, is when the vast majority of mental health problems onset for the first time. And and it makes sense if you know anything about adolescent development, like this time of, you know, yeah. I mean, there's massive biological changes happening. There's a lot of changes in social context. Um, there's a tremendous amount of brain restructuring happening, all of which impacts emotional experience and emotion regulation. So mm. it makes sense, like when you know all that, to be like, this is a period of like a lot of adjustment. And so sometimes until all that, those kinks get worked out, we might yeah. see some problems. Um, but it also means, so it's a time period where we see rates of depression, rates of anxiety, suicidality, they just skyrocket. And that's what I've always been interested in. How do we know, how can we look at age 10 or age 12 at a kid who seems to be functioning fine? How, how can I know which 16 year old is going to be suicidal? How can I see that? That's been kind of what I've been interested in most of my career. I I think if, if we've got the knowledge, if I knew at 12 and 14, that, you know, my brain does this stuff and, you know, this is what it's going to be like. Um, 
those tools probably help, right? I well, mean, the great thing about the adolescent time years, those teen years, is that that brain restructuring works both ways, right? It's a period of risk, but it's yeah. also a period where you're much more able to build good skills, yes. yeah, right? Absolutely. Like it's an age where you're much more receptive. Your brain is much more plastic. And if you could learn in those years how to regulate your emotions, how right. to communicate effectively, how to tolerate stress, right? If those things that are really excellent life skills, you're much more able to learn them as a teenager than you are at our age. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and then you have the potential to offset some of those trajectories, right? Or yeah, that's soften what... them a little bit. Yes. And that's, that really is the heart of what we do. Like teenagers are this great age group because, I mean, there's a chunk of them who have already really serious and meaningful mental health problems. Mm -hmm. And there's a really, it's a terrible mental health crisis among teens in the U.S. right now. But we also have teens who are on the path there, but not quite there yet. And gosh, wouldn't it be nice? Like we want to treat the ones who already mm -hmm. have yes. mental health problems, but wouldn't it be nice if we could also offset that likelihood for the ones who are, are still on a path to it, but haven't yep. arrived there yet. So that's, you know, to me, what is good about mental health care in that age group is you had the potential to do both of those things. Yeah. And and I think the awareness part will help a lot of them on that, you know, to, to stop that pathway, right? They're on that road. And how do you give them a little bit of a tool to kind of Absolutely. nudge themselves back on the right road? It's if you've got the awareness, which we, you know, was not around. Um, mm -hmm. And if you've got some tools and skills, you learn skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you could help a lot of people, not self care. If you end up, you know, end up some a situation you need help. Self care, though, but yeah, it is. It, I guess you know, it is self care. No, and, and actually, like the most dominant model of mental health treatment for teens, young adults, and adults is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And the idea of cognitive behavioral therapy, which yeah. is the most evidence based psychotherapy, right, for depression, anxiety, self injury, pretty much anything you want to name, um, is that the whole point is that you teach the client yeah. how to how to do all these skills themselves. Like we put ourselves out of a job. A good a good cognitive behavioral therapist makes themselves useless because yeah. what we want to do is give all those skills yeah. to the person so that they can do them themselves. So that yeah. is a form of self-care, right? So like right now it's yeah. treatment, but a year from now when I'm struggling with the same issues again, I now have the tools myself to take care of yeah. myself. So yeah. it's a both and, I think. To keep um, you from the treat. Yeah, I guess that was a lot of the, the steps, right? To that self-care to avoid into a situation where you need treatment. Totally, yeah. Yeah, we had a um, a company, really interesting uh, uh, set of guys on, uh, the founders, mm -hmm. for Chimney Trails. Okay. And it's a CBT in a box. Cool, Yeah. Kind of a, a exercise. Therapeutic. Yep. yep. It's a physical. It's a physical like exercise you go to, like go start a campfire. Wow. And, and okay. you know, and the and then yeah. they have a, a pamphlet on that exercise. Sure. And so they've got, I guess it's 10. Is it 10 C, 10 traditional CBTs or something sure. like this? That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And they got like 10 or 12, what I forget it is. And yep. then there's and layers. What underlies those activities? What is it yeah. you're learning? Right. Exactly. And then they've got the lesson. depth. Yeah. And you go yeah, back like to that. lesson one or less yeah. or CBT one and there's levels to it, I guess. I didn't I didn't get too far in, but really cool. It's very cool. It's very Probably, powerful. Yeah. Very. I mean, I'm a tactile person too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I did like that idea of something physical in the lesson, right. An exercise. It was really fun. Well, and I think, you know, some of the magic sauce of what we're doing at June is um, making the, the skill building part of therapy relevant and engaging yeah. for an age group 
that, um, you know, has a lot of mental health problems, but it's not necessarily the easiest thing for them to go and access care, right? You can, you yeah. can, you know, you can lead a horse dying of thirst to water and you still cannot make it drink. And teenagers <laughs> are like that. And the more an adult says to a teenager, drink the water. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, we don't have teenagers to so know the less the teenager is going to want to drink. What we have to do is make the water, you know, really sparkly and really wet yeah. and really engaging. Right. And I think that's a big piece of what, you know, we're trying to do is, you know, the old model of therapy, right, where you were going to take, I mean, this is what, five years ago, if you had a teenager who needed therapy, you're going to take a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, you know, with anxiety, right, massive social anxiety, and we're going to go stick them in a room with an unfamiliar adult for 50 minutes and say, talk about it. <laughs> like, teenagers are like, you've got I'm, to be kidding me. I'm just mortified at that idea, it's right? And by the way, no, you get to drive with your parent no, in this the is, car right. for I, 20 miss- minutes to the therapist's office and home while mom is like, what are you going to talk to your therapist about about today? Make sure you tell your therapist about this that happened to school this week. And then you come out after, what did you talk about? You know, right. And you're like, no wonder kids didn't want to do this. I have anxiety just thinking about that. And so, you know, I mean, teletherapy has just been, it's been life-changing for a lot of teens because the very, the symptoms that get in the way of their being able to make use. I mean, there's two things about that traditional model that don't make sense for teens. One, teens don't sit and talk to an adult face-to-face ever. 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 Like they don't like to raise their hand in class. Like they might have a five minute conversation with a teacher or a coach, but they don't just sit down and talk with an adult. Like that's just not a mode of interaction that they have. Um, And not their peers and definitely not adults. But the other one is they're also not used to doing things verbally live like that. They're used to having their technological Uh. tools to engage. This is how they do class now. They're doing labs on their computer. They're doing, I have a daughter who's a math major. She doesn't even have a workbook. She does it all in a, in a, she has a pen that she uses on her laptop (laughs) that turns it into equations that she submits digitally. Like they're used to using their technology for engaging with content, for engaging with people, for engaging in building skills like at school. And so part of what we're trying to do at June is bring that, that what we know about the teenage experience and how they learn and engage with material so that therapy is relevant for them. Because it's obvious that the need is there and it's obvious that the therapy skills will help. But you got to make the horse drink the water, you know, so. Yeah. Well, and I think this has got to be best. What, I mean, what are, the, I mean, the mental health crisis for teens, you look at the data. I mean, I was like, whoa, what, whoa, it just, it's blown up. Yeah. And any idea? It's what bad. Are they... Yeah. I mean, so I mean, look, there was a mental changed, health crisis maybe. before I, COVID. I mean, this yeah, is, yeah. this is not actually entirely new. I, we had I agree the 10 with years previous to COVID, we had seen depression rates had increased yes. by about 40%. Suicide rates had increased by almost 40% I, I, um, as well. These are big numbers. Four, Those I mean, are this big is numbers. people thinking 40%. Yeah. So as of, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, suicide became the second leading cause of death for 20, 10 to 24-year-olds. The number one cause of death being accidental deaths by things like firearms. So we yeah. don't need to go there. But, um, you know, COVID really accelerated this crisis and also I think put more attention on it because um, we took away 
from teenagers a lot of the supports that they had um, um, yeah. in school and peers. Yeah, and so we see, and, you know, and I'm happy to talk about sort of why I think we have that kind of a mental health crisis, um, if that's helpful. But, you know, the, the CDC just put out data. They do this youth risk um, behavior survey every year. And they just put out the data for 2021. So it's the first year. And they survey hundreds of thousands of high school students in the U.S. And the numbers were unbelievable. So 10%, 10%, 1 in 10 high school students made a suicide attempt in 2021. This is when I just- Not suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Made a suicide attempt. attempt, Did a behavior in which they intended to die. Right. Okay. Teenage girls, 30% considered suicide. 20% 20% have experienced sexual violence, one in five sexual violence by, by the end of high school. We're not even talking about all the way into college. Yeah, you're not even, you haven't even, you haven't We're not even there yet. This is yeah. high school students. Um, 60% of them are reporting persistent symptoms of depression. And then you look at, you know, some populations that have really accelerated, you know, discrimination and barriers to care, the LGBTQ um, population. I mean, astronomical. So there, we're talking over 70% reporting depression, 22% with an attempted suicide. Um, and that's compared yeah. to, I mean, that's more than three times higher the rate of suicide attempts than sort of heterosexual cisgender mm. high school students. Three More than three times the rate. And so, you know, COVID really did a number on teen mental health, for sure. Um, I think the question you were starting to ask is like, you know, kind of, what is it that's contributing and is any yeah, of that is there, information? I mean, there's never just one thing, right? There's never just one thing, but I mean, um, I mean, the, is it social media to, you know, is it? it yeah. So know, let me tell you the rubric or what that I is use. the impact? I think we all would say, oh, yeah, yeah social you know, media. this is for sure something. And I'm but, not actually, interestingly, as, can I come back to social media? So, absolutely. Take it. Take, so I'll let big you run picture, it. stepping all the way back. Yep. Any single one of us, teen, adult, can have mental health symptoms. Yes. Um, if, if this particular sort of teeter-totter gets imbalanced. And what the teeter-totter is, is the stress that we have to deal with and the resources that we have to deal with it, right? So if I take, I mean, you know, I was just telling you the story. So if I take my kids, my kids are a good example. I have a 20-year-old and 17-year-old. They both lost their father when they were 15 and 12. My 12-year-old had a lot of pre-existing challenges with depression, anxiety. She'd already, by that, but before her father was even died, she had had a therapist. She was on medication for anxiety. You know, she has a lot of risk. Um, My other one, my 15-year-old, one of the like, you would have looked at her and been like, she is the most psychologically sound person you have ever met. Like had just never had a problem in her life, really strong and steady. But you give both of them this massive stressor, right? Let's, let's have your dad die. That's a pretty big stressor. Uh, you know who did better? Not better. They both struggled. I mean, don't get me wrong. No one comes yeah, out. Yeah, no one, but, yeah. but my kid who had already been in therapy had some skills. She knew how to ask for help. She knew how to say, yeah. I'm sad. She knew how to say, I'm struggling. She knew that it was okay to ask for help. My 15-year-old who had uh, never had yeah. anything really bad happen to her before and had never had to use any skills didn't have any skills and she mm. really struggled for a year. I mean, really struggled. You saw real light, like a real live. 
part well, of your research. It made sense to me. Yes, this is yeah. because they had the same stressor, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. But they absolutely. had different resources to cope yes. with it. Yes. And resources are lots of things. Some of those are risk factors, like you have a genetic risk, right? Yep. To depression, to anxiety. You have a lack of family support, you have a lack of social support. But some of them are also internal resources. How do I know, yes. like the skills we were just talking about? And so, big picture, when I look at the sort of consistently climbing rates of adolescent yeah. mental health problems, what I see big picture right, so is an increase in stress overall yeah. for this age group, yes. right? Actually, I mean, yes. All sorts of stuff, social yeah. media, but also things like statistically, it's harder to get into college now than it was 20 years ago. There are 10 times more applicants for a, a college pool that hasn't increased, right? So we have a much more competitive, intense Call, mm. uh, like college prep, high school experience. Yeah, call it right. We've got all this social pressure around body image, around achievement in sports or other extracurriculars. Those stressors have gone up for um, for high school students. We have social media. We have news that has really made like the world's problems, climate change, war, like right there on their screens all the time yeah. in a way that you and I did not when we were growing up. Like oh. you kind of knew about the news. Like maybe your parents had it on at dinner time. It was not 24 seven around you. So we've just layered stress, layered stress, layered stress. And simultaneously, I think we are really underserving our kids and helping them build resources. We tend to be a mm. little overprotective of our younger children. We don't want <laughs> we, them to experience. There has been a bit of that in this generation. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. We don't really want them to experience stress or loss yeah. or failure. But the thing is, it's only when you experience those things that you learn those skills to handle it, yeah. right? And so we're throwing teenagers into this mass of stress, really under-resourced to handle it. And that's where I think you see some of the new like waves around social emotional learning at school, all these buzzwords, but that's the underlying hypothesis is you got to learn how to cope with stress before we're going to dump all the stress on you. And so we have an <laughs> under-resourced population yeah, that we're is... like massively dumping stress on. And yes, social media is definitely a piece of that increase in stress. The thing that I'll say, the thing I always want to caution about, there is nothing on God's green earth that is perfectly black and white. And social media is one of them. Uh, for sure. It has, yeah. it has a lot of dark side to it. It also, though, if you think about, if you are a trans or gay student in rural Texas, rural Tennessee, you know, and you don't have a supportive family and you definitely don't have peers in your community, social media is a place where you can connect. That's your, your only group. place to connect. You know, and so it's been a both and, and the data supports that, that social media is a mechanism for social support seeking among this age group as well. Now it's also a mechanism for exacerbating, you know, FOMO and body image issues. And some of those <laughs> peer networks get really toxic, right? You get on this peer network and some, you know, there's a bad apple in the bunch that comes in and is like, yeah, if I was you, I'd just kill myself. And you're like, really? Did, did you, was that a necessary <laughs> thing to say to another teenager who's struggling? So like all the bad stuff happens. Don't get me wrong. And there is a good side yeah, for many people side. who don't have other ways of connecting with people. So, you know, I'm one of those, like, I kind of want a middle ground on social media. I want well-educated kids, but most importantly, I want confident, self-secure kids who can interact with social media in ways that don't damage their mental health. That's what I want. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I think, Amy, you're doing that. I mean, through the app, right? Through June, you have a chance, like you said, there's, I'm 
you know, I'm not a big censorship fan per, person in general, right? And, and no. you know, like going back on stuff, I prefer overwhelming stuff with the right way. Mm-hmm. Putting, you know, making the right way, the you know, and it's usually the right way ends up being the more fun, the more brilliant, the smarter way to go. People figure it out eventually. And so, yeah, social media, there's a, like you said, there's good stuff and there's bad stuff out side, there. There's a dark side, but there's also a light side to it. Yeah. And let's just put more good stuff out there and, you know, places where people and will build- want to hand out. Build digital IQ, you know, help yeah, yeah, help yeah. kids learn how to interact with social media tools Exa- yes. effectively. You yeah. know, we've we've learned a lot. I mean, you know, I think it's not a perfect parallel, but like, you know, the data has been really clear that, you know, when you went to try to do abstinence programs in high schools, right? You know, and that the only message was just simply don't have sex. What happens is you have more unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. Because what you don't do is provide any edu- it's a natural desire. Yeah. You know, there's natural desires that that people have, including teenagers, and they have a natural desire for social media, just like they have a natural desire for sexual yes. connection. And so people are going to act on their needs and desires. What you want them to do is make good decisions about yeah. it oh. and decisions that don't create harm. And that's, you know, that's the education piece that I think you were talking about is how yeah. can we educate an age group about smart and safe consumption of social media? That's it. That's it. And it's the more, the more we put out there that, that, allows them those tools and allows that education to happen because and like because it's got to be engaging it's got to be the right way to do it because mm-hmm. if you if you're telling them yeah parent, and i will say it's like harder, it's a harder bridge to cross there you know the barriers to mental health care in the u.s right now are not just around engaging in technology i mean there's there's you know we have challenges with supply we have massive challenges with cost we have challenges yeah. with stigma there's a lot of other barriers to accessing mental health care for teens and young adults. Um, and, you know, I think, I hope that we at June are trying to sort of meaningfully use innovation to break down those barriers across the board, not just around engagement, but also around other things that get in the way, like cost and like stigma, right? You can't even get someone in the room if cost and stigma are a barrier. Once they're in the room, you need tools to engage them, but you also got to get them in the room. There has to be a therapist in that room. You have to have supply and you got to have someone able to afford it. And you got to have someone willing to do it, willing to ask for help. And those are about stigma and other issues in the field. So, yeah, it's no wonder we can see the rates going up because, I mean, those are all some real challenges right there. The stress is going up faster than our solutions. For yeah, sure. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I'm sure at some point you felt like once you know what you've got feels good and feels right and you're helping people, are you having like moments of panic? Like I can't get it out fast enough. How do more people find out? Or I always, I I have such the a sense, sense of urgency, urgency, sense of urgency that is hard because there's, you know, we're startup. Like it's yeah, you're like, st- you right. know, we need, right. I mean, in order to move to more States or update the app right. faster or innovate on the therapist side of what we do for delivery of care, yes. all that requires engineers and product managers and people, all those people need salaries and to pay those salaries, we need funding, right? You know what I mean? Like there's all these steps in a startup to, to do the thing that you know needs done. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of steps between the need and the execution of it. And we're, we're still pretty early days, you know, in that. Okay. But I think, I think we have a vision of, of what could be for an age group that really needs some new ideas. And so, you know, we're, we're plugging away at that. Let's put it out in the universe. What do you need? What do you need to go faster and to go to do it the right way? Oh, and, I mean, what you do know, you need? 
we're we're a startup heading into our Series A fundraising. Okay. I mean, you know, we need bodies. Um, you know, we need engineers. We need, need engineers. Um, you know, we need yeah, we need we need humans to, um, and humans that can use technology. We've been playing around a lot with Chat GPT and, and fun things, but you know, you still need humans to use the technology right now. But we 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 just need resources to grow like okay. like anywhere else. And then I would say the second thing we need is, and what we're working on right now is partnerships with payers, right? People can't afford mental health care out of pocket. It's too expensive. Yes. Yes. Um, and you can't really reduce those costs because you have to build the platform and you got to pay therapists. I mean, there's, there's right, meaningful right. costs, right? Yeah, there's real costs. So what you really need to do is partner with, um, with, pay, with, with health plans and payer organizations yes. that help offset the cost of, of health care for their members, right? Yep. And so we're working through a process of partnering with health insurance companies and payers, EAP, right, um, employee assistance programs and um, ah. health insurance companies, so that they're assuming the cost, yes. right, or a significant portion of the cost for their members. And that's how you make care accessible, yep. right? None of us goes to a specialist, you know, if we have diabetes or we have a new cancer diagnosis or, you know, we need to have a minor surgical procedure, we don't go and pay out of pocket. We go no. through our health plan with a copay yes. and yes. mental health care has to be accessed in that way too right. for most people to make it affordable, which means we have to have those partnerships. So, you know, those are pieces of the things that we're doing. I think that's uh, the, the white house signed or Biden signed of a kind of a seven point plan. I think it's roughly seven points or something like that. And one of the key pieces of the, it's like a strategic initiative to reduce mental health um, to address mental health crisis. And that one around medical companies, mm -hmm. medical insurance, particularly yep, health insurance, covering add, mental health care, adding, yeah. you know, bolting it in, not onto, but putting it into the schedule, essential feature. Yeah. yeah. As this into the schedules, just Absolutely. like you said, like seeing your primary yeah. care physician. And so that is true on many health plans. I mean, mental health benefits are never quite as robust as medical health benefits still. And it'd be nice to see improvement there, but those partnerships just need to happen. And I would say the last thing you asked what needs to happen is because um, the president Biden thing made me think of it is, Right now, um, all healthcare is regulated on a state by state basis. Oh yeah, yeah. Which makes you know just um, access really yeah, challenging because you've got state licenses, the age of consent, the qualifications for state licensure vary. You know, times fifty, <laughs> and so Bananas. and so you're just exacerbating a chronic Absolutely. supply demand problem, right? You've yeah. got these rural areas like. I have therapists in Washington state with capacity and my neighboring state, Idaho, which is, you know, a rural state, which lacks therapist supply, yeah. but has demand. I mean, they've got teenagers, but my Washington therapist can't treat my Idaho patients. Right. Because right. Even though they're like, sometimes they're literally, I mean, you think about places yeah, like, like 50, Japan, yeah, 50 right. Yeah. Where you're like, literally you're minutes away from the other state. And so, that is just, and there's some legislation pending to make that yeah, I've heard there easier, are the 15th, but 15th, yeah, uh, there's some compacts, but they're still vary by license. They still have to be ratified by each state, uh, okay. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's regulatory barriers as well. Um, that's not necessarily something that, that my company can, um, can advocate for, but it's one of those things that Why impacts how regulators? quickly. Get what? The regulators? Let's get the regulators on the call. Absolutely. Shit, howdy! If that's that's something we can do that would, would sort stuff. We're up. working on it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, there are there are these cross state compacts. Um, psychologists are going through one right now. It covers thirty four states. So, like, I can go through okay. one process and get licensed in thirty four states. 
you know, but it's a different process if you're a mental health counselor and it's a different process if you're a social worker and each of those is separate legislation. Right. I mean, right. Right. You know, you're just and it's, and it's legis- why is this so hard? Well, yeah, I was an insurance agent um, back in California and we I was it was for a broker and we had contracts with insurance companies across mm-hmm. the U.S. So mm-hmm. I at one point I was licensed in 40 states. Wow. Right. And so every certificate was different. Every application was totally. different. We Everything's to, different. And um, just health banana, providers bananas. have to, um, and maybe you did too as an insurance broker, you know, we have to have continuing education. We have to update oh, yeah, our license yeah. every year. Oh, yeah, we have to yeah. pay a fee yeah. and demonstrate ongoing education. Like yep. every time you add a state to that, right? So anyways, it's just, it's stuff like this that has made innovation in healthcare has been very slow and innovation specifically in mental health care has been sloth like slow and Hmm. you know i do think there's companies like ours you know we're not the only company trying to innovate in this space but i do think it is companies like ours that are pushing that pace of innovation a little bit faster so that we can see we can catch up with kind of what the rest of the world what the rest of other industries are using technology for well awesome conversation and and i think we got some really great aha moments and i think some really good um, you've given me some good ideas and kind of validated a couple of things I'm thinking about. Amy, thank awesome. you so much. June you, is Ken. cool. Thank you. June I, is cool. We put it out there in the universe. Series A. I mean, I, you know, let's. We're manifesting. I We're absolutely manifesting. I'm all about that. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And I think we got some comments. We got we got one. We got one thumbs up. I'll take awesome. that. Awesome. Love it. Um, and um, yeah, my email is. Yeah, how do they, I'm sorry. Yeah, how do they, how do they find you? Amy at June.com. So A-M-Y at June is J-O-O-N.com. And I'm always happy to answer questions. I do a lot of public psychoed, you know, always. I'm super passionate about this space, um, adolescent great. mental health and trying to to just get more help to more teens. And so um, anyone who has questions or is looking for ideas, Amy at June.com. Love it. Thanks, everybody. And Amy, hang on for a second. I'll be right there. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.